0: Every All right, good morning. It's good to be with you. Streaming live from Rick Bonfin Ministries, Jonathan Dunn, and we are in the book of Acts. So we will be continuing our study, uh, picking up with Acts chapter 14, verse 49. So if you missed uh, Benny McKinney's teaching yesterday morning, I encourage you to go uh, listen to it. And so we will be in Acts 13, verse 49. 13. Verse 49, and then we'll read on through Acts 14, um, seven. Okay, and that'll be the Bible study this morning. So let's let's read Acts 13:49. Lord, be with us as we study Your Word. Would it, will we not only learn something, but would we be convicted, not necessarily with feeling guilty, but Lord, would the conviction that draws us towards? Uh, a life that is more full of Your Spirit, Lord, a, a life that is full of joy and peace, all the fruits of the Spirit, and that Your goodness and Your grace would be manifested in our lives through the Word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, so let's read Acts thirteen forty nine and following. And the Word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. This is after uh, the scene in Antioch and... Uh, You know, Paul said, you know, I go to the Gentiles, you know. (laughs) But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue. We've seen that before, right? Of the Jews, and so spake. Thank you, King James. They spake. (laughs) That a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it, and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. Wow! What an interesting beginning to the first missionary journey. Well, this is sort of the middle of the, fir- of the first missionary journey, right? Things have really heated up for Paul and Barnabas. They went from you know a sorcerer in Paphos, uh, you know Bar Jesus sort of uh, causing problems, and Paul just you know let him have it. And then and then they get uh, they get up to Perga, and John leaves, and Paul's all mad, you know. And then they get up to The city in Antioch and Paul preaches this beautiful sermon and everybody should come forward in droves and just be saved and, and it's so glorious, right? And, and no, they run him out of the city in the end of it. And then finally, they're getting death threats. Oh my goodness. Paul and Barnabas, did you ever think that it would come to this? I have a feeling that they both had to come to terms with what was happening to them. You know, so what do we see going on here, uh, in these two passages? And I'm, and I wanted to teach these two together because uh they do even though they happen in different places and they, they do have obviously some commonalities it's they have some uh similarities to them that uh that I want to sort of point out and so we're going to look at these similarities first and then um seeing what the time is we'll kind of maybe look at at some of the uh uh just sort of the unique aspects of each one uh, we'll see how the time goes but uh but I want to start here because Paul and Barnabas, uh, both in both Pisidian Antioch and in Iconium, they start their teaching in the synagogue, right? So, um, so then when, um, when Paul and Barnabas get to Iconium, most likely the sermon that he does there is very similar to the one that we find in Acts chapter 13, right? History of Israel, okay, then the coming of Jesus, using the history of Israel, the Old Testament as the backdrop and Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Okay, and then a call to receive this new word, a call to repentance, and then sort of what happens afterwards that's that's kind of the pattern, right? and actually that's uh that's what Peter did when he was um, when, when he preached in Jerusalem uh, right after Pentecost. That's sort of the pattern of his. He gave a bunch of Old Testament quotations and talked about how Jesus came as the fulfillment of these Old Testament uh, prophecies, and so then you get. Mixed responses, right? So, now the initial response in both, it's it's sort of mixed, right? Uh, some believe and some don't. And Would somebody grab me a tissue over there, please? Some some believe and, and some don't. Uh, some Jews believe and then some Gentiles believe and then there's, there's just kind of a mixture of the two. Thank you, buddy. Oh, last one. God, have favor on me. Excuse me. Pardon me there online. I know that's not really... What you tuned in to see this morning uh, just happened. Okay, so so then after the initial response, you have some resistance or persecution. Okay, so in Antioch they're run out of the city, and in Iconium they have death threats. Right, they find out that uh, there's a plot to take him and stone him, um, and so they have to flee. So and then at the end of each of them, they move on to a different place. So that's sort of the pattern is is the preaching. You have, you'll have an initial response, then you'll have the resistance, <laughs> and then they end up moving on to, to another region. That's sort of how it goes. So, so one of the big questions, as I look at these, what happened in Pisidian Antioch and then what happened in Iconium, I'm like, man, what, this is such good news about Jesus. Why are they so angry? I mean, I'm not talking a little bit angry. I mean, angry to the point that they are premeditating on the murder of these two guys. That That's not just being a little irritated. Right? That That is anger to the point that you want to kill somebody. But it seems, you know, when you listen to Paul's sermon in Pisidian Antioch that most likely he repeated uh, in a very similar fashion in Iconium, it, it seems like just a wonderful news that everybody would just welcome with open arms. However, um, and then Miss Betty talked about this a lot yesterday, that it was met with some serious resistance. I mean, just total rejection to the point that they just hated him. So so what was it that uh, that Paul... And Barnabas were teaching that really was causing so much of a stir. And so I want to look at that for just a second. And to do that, we're going to go to the book of Galatians. Now, why are we going to do that? Well, the um, city in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, really really, most of the first missionary journey was done in the region of Galatia. And I don't think you can, you're going to be able to see it too well, but... If, Oh, especially because it's green. It's messing with the green screen. Well, that didn't work. If you look in your Bible, your NIV has it. Most Bibles have a map of the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And you'll see there that the region, the whole region, is Galatia. And so most scholars, and there's debate about anything in the world, but most, most conservative scholars agree that the book of Galatians was probably written shortly after the first missionary journey to all of these churches that Paul and Barnabas are visiting right now. So I think it would, would really be appropriate for us to look at the book of Galatians just a little bit, you know, because this isn't a Bible study on the book of Galatians, but look at a, a couple of key verses to really highlight what is it that Paul was dealing with in these areas that was causing so much trouble. Okay, so uh, one of the first major arguments, okay, that really got the, these uh, these Jews mad in both of these cities, is that the law is powerless to justify a person before God. In fact, a person can only be justified before God through faith in Jesus Christ. So that is found in Galatians 2:15 to 16. So let's read that real quick. Okay? So most likely cuz it says here, I'm I'm sorry, I, let, before I read. It says here that in Iconium especially, um after after the Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil towards Paul and Barnabas, it says they stayed for a long time speaking boldly in the, in the Lord. In other words, they stuck around. You know, they were there for days just trying to and so My opinion is that most likely Paul said almost these verses verbatim over and over that we're going to read in Galatians 2. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one is justified so there's Paul actually a, uh, the structure of that statement is brilliant because he somehow forms the same idea three times in one sentence <laughs> and that, that, that takes a lot of forethought he really prayed about that one Lord God, I have got to get this through. This is now, and this is one of the classic Christian confessions, right? And Paul knew it. If this, if this specific principle, the understanding that we are justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by any works that we do, not by human effort, right? Then We've got to hold true to that statement. Otherwise, it just opens the door for all kinds of legalism once again. So he knew how important this was. And so it seems like this is just such great news, right? Oh, thank God I don't have to try to work my way to heaven anymore. Oh, I'm exhausted, right? The long-awaited Messiah has finally come. The weight of trying to work hard enough to please God has finally been lifted. Jesus did all the work on the cross. And so we're now free from that burden. Seems like the message that people will receive gladly. However, this is a classic clash of the old guard versus the new world order. And so Paul is there in these two cities, and it says, you know, and he's arguing this because the Jews are upset. See, the old guard Jewish leaders have created a system using the law. Okay, They've taken the law of Moses and created a system of job security and social influence. Now, that's... I mean, you could go straight to application right now. Right? How many of us have encountered pastors, church leaders, who have done the same thing? And I'm not here to bash the church or call out pastors, anything like that. But what I am here to do is tell you that that the... Word of God is relevant for today. And now Paul had to deal with this concept of faith in Jesus Christ as opposed to works of the law. Now, if you go into a, uh, if you go into a mainstream denominational church really anywhere in the world today, you really won't find anybody getting angry about that statement. For the most part, the church as a whole has come to terms with this concept of we are not justified by works of the law, but faith in Jesus Christ. You know, churches have, you know, what we believe on their website. And usually they have a list of, you know, the primary essentials, and one of them is salvation, and you will find something about that right there. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It is not of ourselves that no man can... Yeah, you know those classic ones... so that's not really debated, but, but what is what is one of the things today that that is resisted by the sort of old guard denominations? <laughs> my boss is making me laugh in the middle of my Bible study over here' He's making jokes about well, I won't say that. Uh, anyway, uh <laughs> um, so what, it, what is it that uh that is, is uh, really resisted. Well, tongues. It's one of them. You know, tongues wasn't, wasn't, you know, tongues was actually widely accepted in the early church. It, it wasn't a matter of debate. People weren't angry about that. I mean, people were going crazy with it, you know. So, I mean, you, you know, the, the issue there was reining it in, not, not resisting it. It was the opposite issue. Okay, but, but the mainline denominations today, tongues, Gifts of healing, you know, the Holy Spirit in general, right? Oh yeah, we'll, take, we, we'll be glad to take the Holy Spirit in terms of, you know, sanctifying us so that we can be morally better. But power? Power to pray, power to heal, power to pray in tongues, power to receive a word of wisdom, revelatory gifts? No thank you. That, that, that's a can of worms that makes, that makes Christians dangerous and it's going to mess up my church service. Right? You find that. That's actually something that our ministry has had to specifically, uh, just stand for. You know, because, uh, because in the Western church, it's, uh, people don't like it. I'll get to the, I'll get to another one, but, so let's, let's, let's read what Jesus says about this sort of, uh, mindset of the career, sort of the career rabbis, right? The career, uh, Jewish leaders, religious leaders, and let's see if, if, um, if we can relate to this. So Jesus, because Jesus had to deal with these same people. This is not long after the life of Jesus that Paul and Barnabas are, are, are dealing with this. So, Matthew 23, starting with verse 1. Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. Right? Do as they say, but not as they do. <laughs> For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Or they don't care about the people. They don't care about the people. They're, they're career-oriented. Yeah. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, yeah, yeah. for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And there's a whole Bible study on that. And they love, it, it, it makes them look good, you know, right? Yeah, it makes them look you know, outwardly religious. And they love the place of honor of feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others, right? Oh, you're such a good pastor. That was a great sermon, right? You ever, Did you grow up in one of those churches where the pastor stands in the back and shakes everybody's hand? And you better tell the pastor he had a good sermon. If it was a terrible sermon, you're not allowed to say it. <laughs> you had to tell the pastor it was a good sermon. <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Well, that sounds like what Paul and Barnabas are dealing with. Right, uh, the Jewish leaders are essentially—they um, don't care about the people. They care about themselves. They care about their social status. They care about their power and influence. Now we see this—we see this with the, the power and influence thing because they have the power to go find in both cities, city and Antioch, and Iconium. They're able to find the leaders, the political and the social leaders of the community, and get them to come against Paul and Barnabas. So they have power and influence, politically, socially, religiously. And this concept of the law of Moses does not justify a person before God, but its faith in Jesus is about to erode and totally destroy that whole thing. And so they say, nope, we are not having that. So they use their power and influence to get everybody together, kick them out. Or you know, in Conium, they're so hateful they want to stone them. So that's why, that's why there's so much resistance. Okay. Um. So let's look at another one in Galatians, and then we'll wrap it up. So that's the first one. That's the first big principle that Paul and Barnabas were putting forward that they just couldn't couldn't handle that. Well, another one is, comes out of Galatians 3, 26 to 29. It's the idea that Jesus Christ is the equalizer of all humanity. I'll explain that. Let's read Galatians 3, 26 to 29. This is the second principle that Paul and Barnabas would have been trying to help get through. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For As many of you, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Now we get to the heart of it. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are one in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Whoa. Now he's stepping on some toes. So just... You know the the Jewish leaders there in Iconium are doing their little synagogue thing, right? And, and on the on one hand, I can understand the, that they were shell shocked. They they're doing their synagogue thing, right? And they're used to it. Everybody knows what to do. They know that they're the leaders. The people come. They do their leader thing. I mean, that's just right. And then here comes Paul and Barnabas saying, "Oh, by the way, uh, now that Jesus has come and died on the cross and resurrected, women can vote. Yeah, <laughs> women can vote. Women can be saved. Women have a voice. Women can be leaders. Slaves, actually, uh, you know, actually, it's just a, a worldly system in the kingdom. Slaves have just as much, um, just as much standing as uh, race doesn't matter anymore, right?" Now, we might have that in this world, and we will. We always will. Jesus says you're always going to have the poor. We're going to have those layers of society. As long as this old world is around, we're going to have that here. But as far as Christians are concerned, in our hearts and our minds, Paul is saying you can't approach people with that same concept. I mean, James, James, James let us have it with that, Right? You, if you bring somebody up who comes dressed all nice, and you make the dirty guy sit in the back, you're just a bunch of pansies. Just you know, with, you're being you're being a popsicle, right? You just want people to like you, right? You just want to make the people who have money happy so that they'll give. So Jesus is the great equalizer of humanity. So I'm a I'm a sound guy, you know, audio. Audiovisual stuff, and in sound we have this thing called an equalizer. There's a 31-band there's, there's equalizer. is sort of like the industry standard, and it divides the audio signal from low to high. Low to high. All right? 20, 20 hertz is the lowest the human ear can hear. 20,000 hertz is the highest. Most of us can't hear that far, but anyway... So it divides the frequencies, and then you can raise or lower the volume of each frequency depending on what's coming through to make the sound more pleasing to the ear. In other words, if the high frequency is too much, the equalizer brings it down. Well, that's what Jesus does with all of us. If, you know, if we're in this world order, we're so big and so powerful, Jesus says, well, in my kingdom... I bring you down, and I bring the poor guy who has nothing up, and in my heart, you're equal. No respecter of persons, right? That's what, that's what Peter had to learn in the house of Cornelius, right? Now, in our modern Western society, this is not necessarily something that's uh, different for us. And, and those of you listening around the world, too, you've, you've heard of the Declaration of Independence, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident. "...that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." We love that line. I mean, we base our society in America on that line. And that concept actually has filtered out many places in the world. I mean, it's a great line. It's a beautiful language there. And and it really kind of seems to go along with what Paul was saying. Now, they don't talk about Jesus. They do talk about the Creator, right? They don't necessarily relate to Jesus. But for us, this was kind of a normal concept. This isn't really something that we would resist, right? That that idea. But in that day, yeah, that this is not their thinking. They didn't have the United States Declaration of Independence and that whole... Con- that, that was not there. In that society, you were born into a position. And very rarely, every once in a while, but very rarely... Did you change your position in society? Whatever position you were born in was the position you had for the rest of your life. And you knew your position, you knew the position of others, you knew where you fit in society, and everybody stayed there. And it was a it was a birthright system. You were born into this and and that's it. Um and so Paul's message of everyone sort of this equality suddenly coming, and the Gentiles can now be saved and, you know, slave and free. They're there in Pisidian Antioch and in Iconium teaching these things, and, I mean, they, they just can't take it. They can't swallow it. Well, what's another one? So I talked about the Holy Spirit, right? It's one of the modern-day things, right? So these two things that Paul had to deal with, we might not resist those today, but the Holy Spirit was one of them. Well, what's another one? Marriage is between a man and a woman. I mean, that, that, that's a modern-day example, a, a social thing. So I did a spiritual one, and now a social one. Marriage is between a man and a woman. One man, and it's supposed to be for life, except for very, you know, except, except for cases. I mean, life happens, you know, so this is not a, uh, a Bible a legalism thing. Thank you. This is, you know, but it's supposed to be. The ideal situation in the heart of God from the beginning was between a man and a woman for life, Right? And we work it out as, as human beings and as Christians as we go. But that, that's what we hold in our hearts as the ideal, okay? Well, that's under attack. Not only, not only marriage itself... So, in other words, people are devaluing marriage all over the place. It doesn't matter. We don't need it. You know, it doesn't do anything. Um, it's a piece of paper. It's just for tax purposes. You know, things like that, right? Um. Not only that, but then between a man and a woman. Well, it can be anything. It could be a man and man. It could be a man and many women. It can be a woman and a woman. It could be a man who thinks he's a woman and a woman who thinks he's a man. You know? It could be whatever. You just make it up. Whatever you want it to be. And the idea is that, that, that you can live a blessed life. That, that's the lie that's being presented. And people are eating it up in our society. Just, Taking it. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Reminds me of what Paul says, you know, that, that people will just listen to whatever their itching ears want to hear. You know? I don't I just want what I want, and so somebody says that I can have it, and so, yeah, that that's right. Yeah, I like that. That's the truth. Well, but you can't have a blessed life that way. Why? Because the word of God is different. And so I'm here as as a uh, staff member, as a pastor at Rick Bonfin Ministries, telling you that. In my heart, I believe that a marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman, and that might that makes a lot of people angry that I would believe that now i don't I don't want to put people down or or you know um, say that you're going to hell or pass judgment, but I have to hold that conviction in my heart because I have to remain true to the Word of God, and I really believe that the most blessed life is that and and there's all kinds of, you know, people have life, Paul says, some people aren't called to marriage, you know, you know. but the ideal is that, and I'm going to hold that in my heart, because I believe that that's a biblical principle. As I read the Word of God, I see it multiple times, it's not just one place. And so that is sort of a modern day thing that we're dealing with in the church right now, that I'm kind of like Paul and Barnabas, where, man... I can make some really people really mad when I tell them that, but but I can't back down. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that that is an, an arrow that the devil is trying to use to destroy the church, to destroy our lives, and to destroy families. And so I just can't put up with it and stand for it. So as I read Paul and Barnabas and what they did in Iconium, what they did in Pisidian and Antioch, and kind of look at Galatians and see some of the things that Paul and Barnabas were dealing with, and then sort of say, well, you know, we might be dealing with some different theological and social issues, but man, in a lot of ways it's the same. We can take some encouragement to say that we might have some resistance. In fact, we might get resistance from the people that we think should be the most open to what we're saying. And we have to decide how we're going to deal with that. Now, Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their feet, right? And say, okay, we did everything we could. We're moving on. And sometimes we have to do that. Continue preaching the Word. Find somebody else who might listen. See what God's going to do. And don't stop just because you have resistance. So if you are experiencing resistance because you're standing for the Word today, you're standing for the Holy Spirit, you're trying to encourage your friends and church members to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or you're, you're one of the conservatives and, and a lot of people in your church are angry at you because you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, be at peace. You're not the only one who's gone through it. Paul and Barnabas, man, they, their lives were in stake. They, were, they had death threats. They, they were run out of the place. You're not the only one. You're not alone. Other people are standing with you, and not angrily, not hating, but just because we, we, we are the carriers of the Word of God and that's who we're called to be. And we can't back down from that. So I want to encourage you this morning to continue to stand for the Word of God just as Paul and Barnabas did. Keep moving on. Keep preaching. Keep finding somebody who will listen. You'll get some mixed responses some people are upset and some people were received gladly. But just keep preaching and trust God with the results. Your life is in the hands of God. If you're called of God, then God will open the door for you in the right time to preach the Word. Amen. Thank you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Stay tuned tomorrow morning because our dear friend, uh, Dr. Reverend Eugene Thomas is going to bring the Word. See you tomorrow. He gives the joy of His salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazing! me. As I watch the world around me, I can see His from the seed of Abraham. And led them through the wilderness into the promised land. In boundless love and mercy